Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Is she really the idiot that everybody thinks she is? Yes. Yes, she is. Mr. Reagan. There's a lot of people more concerned about being precisely, factually, and semantically correct than about being morally right. In this video, I'd like to analyze Alexandria's psychology and explain why I think she believes and acts in the bizarre way that she does. Before I get into that, however, I'd like to go through some of Alexandria's crazier ideas. Alexandria wants to abolish ICE. She's on board the impeached Trump train. She wants the U.S. to convert to 100% renewable energy in 10 years. She desires a 70% marginal tax rate for rich Americans. She believes that border control is a human rights violation. She believes that unemployment is low because everybody has two jobs. She believes that sexual assault allegations do not kill careers, but actually accelerate them. She believes that global warming is literally killing Americans. She prefers to be called Latinx. She believes that the Electoral College is a shadow of slavery's power in the United States. She believes that all foreigners are entitled to enter the country. She believes that she struggled in her life from the quote-unquote unaddressed history of imperialism. Now, let's break all of these down and I'll explain why they're all insane. Abolish ICE. We must abolish ICE. Alexandria has said that ICE violently committed human rights abuses. You see this accusation thrown around a lot by Cortez. She seems to think that anything she doesn't like is a human rights abuse. Border wall, human rights abuse. Occupation of Palestine, human rights abuse. ICE deportations, human rights abuses. Ironically, do you know whose job it is to stop human rights violators here in the U.S.? ICE. <laughs> you know, it's possible that she has a point. Maybe ICE isn't the best agency in the world. Maybe this stuff should be handled by some other agency or in a different way. But she doesn't present any alternatives. And worse, she doesn't provide any detailed accusations about ICE. She just says, they're icky, I don't like them. She uses this vague accusation, human rights abuse. Okay, so what exactly was the abuse? Who committed it? Who authorized it? She has none of that data. She simply says human rights abuse because it's a strong sounding thing. And then she says, shut them down, right? She's actually using the same ploys the Democrats used against Kavanaugh, except at least their made up rape crime was detailed. It's why some women use false rape accusations. It's so, so horrific, nobody thinks they would make it up. Dinesh D'Souza often talks about the big lie, right? If you tell a believable lie, people might look into it. If you tell a big enough lie, everybody will just believe it because they think that nobody is crazy enough to make up something so outlandish. And I think that's why she keeps screaming human rights abuse. You know, maybe in the future, the story The Boy Who Cried Wolf will be retitled The Girl Who Screamed Human Rights Abuse. Moving on. She's on board the impeach Trump train. I would vote. I would vote to impeach. She's convinced that Trump has committed all sorts of crimes. She's cited two campaign finance violations and a breach of the emoluments clause in the Constitution. Well, I think there's a couple. The first that we have is a violation of the emoluments clause. He has refused to divest himself of businesses through which there are foreign actors investing and currently conducting businesses. I think that we currently have a full FBI investigation through which uh, women may have been provided uh, financial settlements in an illegal manner or, or a manner that violates uh, campaign finance laws. Uh, I think that, that there are many different ways that uh, that 
people can reach that conclusion. No one, not even the Democrats, think that the campaign finance violation stuff is even worth talking about. There is no crime there. Okay, the emoluments clause is more interesting mainly because nobody's ever heard of it. The emoluments clause states that presidents can't accept gifts from foreign governments, which Trump never has done as president. The twisted logic here, though, is that the Trump organization, Trump's business, operates internationally. And so any business transactions, this is the, this is the thinking, okay? Any business transactions that the Trump organization makes with any foreign government officials, any money these officials trade in exchange for some Trump corporation product or service, could be considered a gift. This is insane. If this convoluted interpretation of gift made any sense, we could draw that out to any business stocks that any president has ever owned. If you own a stock in Nestle, say, well, that means you own a small percentage of the company. Any foreign government employees who buy Nestle products are then presenting you with gifts. Even for crazy leftists, this is beyond absurd. If we ousted Trump on these grounds, then no president could ever own any interest in any American company operating internationally ever in the future. This is all very obviously nonsense. But I don't think Alexandria actually reads up too much on these things. I think she just hears something anti-Trump and then she jumps on it. She puts the full force of her conviction behind it, despite not understanding it at all. This is an incredibly consistent pattern with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Moving on, she wants the U.S. to convert to 100% renewable energy in 10 years. It's wide, one of the wide estimates is that it's going to take three to four trillion dollars to transition us to 100% renewable energy economy. Look, this is an admirable goal. I hope that we do this, actually. But to invest in such an ambitious plan now is hugely disruptive and utterly pointless. The thing that will progress us toward a cleaner, better Earth is scientific advancement. I watched this great episode of The Twilight Zone yesterday, and this guy goes on this long voyage into space, 40 years. In the time that he's gone, humanity develops a spacecraft that's much faster, and they're able to complete his mission 20 years before he ever gets back. His entire mission was pointless. He sacrificed 40 years of his life for nothing. The insane expense and sacrifice of transitioning the entire country to the primitive renewable energy solutions that we have today is futile. As better technologies emerge, we will exploit them, as we always have. As cheaper, more sustainable energy sources are developed, they will be utilized by the various peoples of the world. This progress is slow. It's too slow for environmentalists. But all technology is too slow for those who desire it the most. Alexandria's problem is that she has no idea about what such a proposal entails, how much it will cost, how to pay for it. Her answer to these questions is the same answer she gives for everything. Tax the rich. But the truth is, I don't think she really cares. It sounds good, right? She's proposing a radical solution, and she's just saying the rich should pay for it. Well, that sounds good to a lot of her delusional constituency. Moving on, and this is related. She desires a 70% marginal tax rate for rich Americans. And this is actually not as horrifying as it sounds. She doesn't want rich Americans to pay a full 70% of their entire income. She's only talking about a marginal tax rate. That means, as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez puts it, the tippy top of anyone's income. So if I made 10 million, I would be taxed less than 70% on my 10, 10 millionth dollar and above 70% on everything I make over 10 million or whatever the number for tippy top is in Alexandria's socialist mind. Once you get to like the tippy 
tops uh, on your 10 millionth dollar. Uh, sometimes you see tax rates as high as 60 or 70 percent. That doesn't mean all $10 million are taxed at an extremely high rate, but it means that as you climb up this ladder, you should be contributing more. But here's the problem with that. We need rich people. And I'm going to get into this a little bit later, but trust me, it's true. A lot of people on the left like to mention that before Kennedy slashed the top marginal tax rate, it was like 91% or something like that. You look at our tax rates back in the 60s. And that America was booming at that time, all because we were fleecing the rich. Not so. At that time, there were exemptions for everything, and no rich person paid the top marginal tax rate, no matter how much they made. Rich people mostly paid less than what they do today. Most people don't like rich people, I get that, but they are a crucial part of the economic ecosystem of our capitalist economy. I'll explain that in more detail later on. Let's move on. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez believes that border control is a human rights violation. Specifically, she accused Trump of human rights abuses for separating families at the border. He has systematically engaged in the violation of international human rights borders on uh, human rights on our border. He has separated children from their families. So every time anybody goes to jail in America and that person is separated from their family, it's a human rights abuse. Or is it just some crimes, Alexandria? And what about the child sex traffickers that are being separated from their victims? Are their human rights being violated too? Hmm. Look, nobody likes to see children and their parents being forcefully separated ever. It seems barbaric. It seems awful. But we also don't like to see people hopping over the border and breaking American law, right? We don't know who they are. We have to find out, right? And in order to do that, there has to be a system. Are you smuggling this child over for sex trafficking, or is this your kid? They separate them for a little while, they do their tests, they figure it out, and then when all the paperwork's done, people can be reunited. It's not the best system in the world, but if you don't want that sort of thing to happen, don't try jumping the border with your children. Let's move on. She believes that unemployment is low because everybody has two jobs. We look at these figures and we say, oh, unemployment is low, everything is fine, right? Well, unemployment is low because everyone has two jobs. I don't even know where to start with this. The number of jobs you have has no impact on the employment rate. The U.S. government doesn't list all the jobs available in the country and then checks them off when filled. Instead, they conduct a monthly survey of about 50,000 households, and they just ask everybody if they are employed. That's it. That's how unemployment is measured. All right, look, this girl has been lambasted enough by this particular moment of idiocy, and I really don't want to dwell on it that much, so... Let's move on. A sexual assault allegation does not kill a career, but accelerates it. Oh, I heard John uh, rape that, that girl in the mailroom. Uh, now he's the CEO. <laughs> Can you believe that? It's crazy. Occasionally, this girl says things that are so insane that I just, I don't, I can't even get into her psychology to explain to you guys why maybe she said it. But perhaps there's some feminists out there who could explain that to me. How is it that a sexual assault allegation could accelerate somebody's career. I, I can't even, I can't even, <laughs> that's so, but it's just such a weird idea. That would actually make people want to convince their colleagues to like pretend to accuse them of sexual harassment, right? I, I mean, think about it. If you're like in the office and you're friends with this girl, Jennifer, and you're like, hey, Jennifer, can you go to the boss and you know, accuse me of sexual harassment because I really, I feel like it's going to accelerate my career. 
No, nobody does that because they would be fired. All right. It does. It kills careers. It doesn't accelerate them. It kills them. Alexandria. I don't I don't understand this at all. I imagine she has some reasoning behind it. I don't know. Maybe you guys can help me out. Let's just move on. She believes global warming is killing Americans. The exact quote is, Americans are dying because of a government too coward to save the planet. I assume she meant cowardly, uh, but this is what she said. I was actually going to do an entire video just on climate change, um, sort of debunking some of the myths around it. The main point that I was going to make is that nature tends to thrive on this planet in warmer conditions. So if the planet is a few degrees warmer, right, we'll get lush foliage, we'll get more animal life, we'll get more of a thriving ecosystem further north on the planet. We'll have a greener planet, actually. And this can actually be seen in Iceland. If you go to Iceland, or I'm going to post a video at some point about this. In Iceland, there's this huge reforestation effort. The forests of Iceland were cut down in the Viking Age. But since, the, since like the 50s or something, people in Iceland have been planting trees, and now they have a lush forest. And the research that they've done indicates that this wouldn't have been possible without climate change. And so that's a great thing. That's a great benefit that you can actually see uh, of climate change. And the catastrophes that we're talking about, uh, people dying and all this kind of stuff, these are projections. These are uh, expected things that might happen in the future, but they can't actually... Um, find a direct link to currently, right? And the one thing that they constantly, every summer they come on the news and they're like, oh, because of climate change, people are dying of heat stroke and stuff like this. Well, people have died of, you know, a hot summer pretty much every summer since the dawn of time, right? There's a certain number of people, especially older people, people that are sort of on the cusp of dying anyway, that tend to die when it gets really hot out and they maybe don't have air conditioning. That always happens. And that happens in the winter, too. If it's too cold, uh, lots of people die of cold. And in fact, way more people die every winter than die every summer. But they don't say that because that doesn't fit the narrative of, you know, the climate's getting warmer and this is killing people off, right? So, in fact, um, a more temperate winter would actually improve people's lives. People would die less uh, as the climate got warmer throughout the world. But anyway, I, I, I want to do an entire video on climate change, so I don't want to get too into it here. So let's move on. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez prefers to be called Latinx. <laughs> now, Latinx is a way of degenderizing a Latino and Latina, right? So Latino is male, Latina is uh, female in the Spanish language. And because of the whole trans thing, because of this whole, you know, gender fluid movement, whatever, uh, some people think that we should start saying Latinx uh, instead of Latino or Latina. Basically, this is only for white people. Uh, it, you know, very few, if any, Hispanic, Spanish-speaking people would ever adopt this. Uh, and the reason is because the entirety of the language is gendered. Uh, the A or O suffix genderizes everything in their language. The entirety of the Spanish-speaking world is not going to start saying cheek X or vat X or me hex. Uh, <laughs> I mean, should Puerto Rico become Puerto Ricex? Is Mexico going to become Mexicex? Uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would have to change her name to Alexandrix Ocasio-Cortez. I mean, it's all moronic. 
you know, it's, it's, in the old days, it was considered unethical to be, like, promiscuous, right? Now, promiscuity is celebrated, and it's considered unethical to refer to a woman as female. Strange times we live in, people. Strange times. <laughs> Moving on. Okay, sorry about that. I had to change the lights. The, uh, <laughs> the sun's going down. Alexandria believes that the Electoral College is a quote-unquote shadow of slavery's power in the U.S., Leftists think that everything in America is owed to slavery. She's just misinformed, as always. Slavery was not the sole reason for the Electoral College. Look, slavery is a part of U.S. history. If she had it her way, I'm sure she'd label the entire country a shadow of slavery's power. We don't need to dwell on what a few greedy people did a few hundred years ago when it comes to every debate we ever have about anything ever. Slavery was bad. We ended it 150 years ago. Let's move on. Alexandria believes that all foreigners are entitled to enter the country. This is what she said. All foreigners are entitled to enter the country. She's not just against the wall. She wants zero immigration restrictions. Everyone who wants to come should come in. That's, that's what she said. Alexandria, do you want to know how many people want to come to America? This gumball represents the one million legal immigrants that the United States has taken every year on average since 1990. And how many people make less than $2 a day in the world? In Africa alone, there are 650 million people who make less than $2 a day. And in India, another 890 million people. And unfortunately, the rest of Asia has a heartbreaking 810 million people. All told, the World Bank says there are 3 billion people in the world. 3 billion people who are desperately poor, making less than $2 a day. That's 3,000 gumballs. That's how many. <laughs> you know what? Should we buy them all plane tickets to Alexandria? You moron. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Shouldn't call her a moron. She's a well-intentioned, misinformed girl. I mean, moron is much easier to say, but I shouldn't fall into that trap. Bad Chris. Alexandria, I'm sorry. You're not a moron. You just seem like one most of the time. Let's move on. Alexandria believes that she struggled in her life from the unaddressed history of imperialism. <laughs> okay, this is a perfect segue into the next segment of the video, the biography of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Spoiler alert, she did not struggle from imperialism or anything at all. This is not just going to be a simple biography. I'm going to attempt to use her biography, her curious behavior, and her radical ideas to construct a psychological profile that will be accurate and beneficial for anybody who wants to understand Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But before I begin my breakdown of Alexandria, I want to say something highly controversial. This is something that a lot of you are going to get mad at me about, and a lot of you are going to make fun of me for it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is beautiful. She is a very beautiful woman. I mean, I work in Hollywood, and if I were going to cast her in a movie or a TV show, she would definitely be cast in the beautiful woman roles. No question. A lot of people on the right call her crazy eyes, or they get unflattering photos of her, and they try to ridicule how she looks. But the truth is, let's face it, she's pretty dang far above average. And considering she's in politics, she's ridiculous. Okay, well now that we've established this, and I've opened myself up to waves of ridicule, I can now go on to my psychological profile of this woman. My initial impression of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is that she is a very well-meaning girl with a very limited education. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez grew up in a place called 
Yorktown Heights in New York. Yorktown Heights is over 90% white with a median family income of about $1.2 million per year. Just to give you an idea of the kind of people who live in Yorktown Heights, this is where Dave Matthews of the Dave Matthews Band grew up. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez's father was an architect, and apparently she grew up with maids. So it seems like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez grew up in a culturally white town, went to a culturally white school, and grew up in a household that made a pretty cozy income. There was a Twitter battle between Alexandria and Michael Knowles about this, which eventually resulted in her removing a complete fabrication of her life history from the bio in her website that stated that she grew up in the Bronx as if she were some kind of romantic rags-to-riches story. Women like me aren't supposed to run for office. I wasn't born to a wealthy or powerful family. Mother from Puerto Rico, dad from the South Bronx... I was born in a place where your zip code determines your destiny. She knows that being a woman and a Latina are both great in the eyes of the left, but being poor is even better. The more victimization you can claim, the more beloved you will be, even if that victimization is completely fake. And I'm not just talking about being poor here. Pretty much any kind of victimization that is screamed by a leftist is going to be fake. Now, I don't really care about this that much. I don't mind that she was trying to romanticize her life story. She grew up in an affluent white suburb and wants to pretend that she grew up in a poor ethnic ghetto. Okay, whatever. It's a better story. That doesn't matter to me. What annoys me is that she was tempted to do this at all. How messed up is the left that a Hispanic woman feels that she has to pretend to be poor to win votes? And this is an indication that she is very aware of the left's biases. And she's exploiting those biases for her own benefit. This is the horrifying reality of the left. They're not really helping the voters that they're claiming to help. They're pretending to be an ally in order to exploit them for their own personal benefit. If you read Alexandria's webpage, her biography is full of Latino this and Latino that. It's clear to me that this woman benefited greatly from special programs designed specifically for Latinos. I can tell you this. I've never benefited from anything designed specifically for white people. These kind of programs are often organized by leftists, and I imagine that there's a lot of leftist propaganda that kids involved in these programs are steeped in. And before you start to think, well, maybe these programs are a good thing. They've taken this oppressed female ethnic minority, and it's benefited her. Now she's a congressman. Remember, she grew up in Westchester, one of the wealthiest counties in America. She wasn't an oppressed minority. She was a thriving minority. When I was a boy, all of my clothes came from goodwill. All of them. And I'm a white male. I'm supposed to be privileged. She probably doesn't even know what goodwill is. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez speaks clearly and with a great deal of confidence. However, she uses small words, simple sentences, and she steers away from specific examples to illustrate her political philosophy. She tends to speak in broad generalities. In my experience, this is indicative of somebody who believes that she's very well educated, but actually is not. This is the kind of person who can be very dangerous, because those who know even less than her are going to very easily be convinced by her confidence and her clarity of speech. And I can speak to this with some authority, because I do exactly the same thing. <laughs> the difference, I hope, is that I tend to research the topics that I'm speaking about, and I'd like to think that I employ logic and reason more effectively than Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Now, how is it that a person ends up being so confident, speaking on things about which they know very little? I think this may be the princess effect. The princess effect is a psychological phenomenon that I just made up. 
Essentially what happens is that when a girl is little, if she's very pretty, the family often treats her like a princess. She can get away with a lot more than her siblings and her cousins. She might even be grandma's favorite. And as she grows up, she has a lot more confidence than the other kids. She's treated as if she's special. She's treated as if what she says matters. This gives her psychological license to express herself without necessarily filtering what she's saying. She doesn't feel as if she has to speak in a measured way. She merely expects that whatever she says, it will be accepted warmly and it will be valued. If when a girl goes off to school, the teacher gives her the same royal treatment, this condition worsens, especially if she's one of the more popular kids, especially if the other kids like her and want to be friends with her. All of her feelings of being special are reinforced the princess delusion grows. If then when she goes to high school, if she's still very popular, if a lot of the cool guys want to date her, if she's getting good grades, if she's excelling in sports, then the princess delusion will obviously be reinforced still. But I think that the most damaging experience would be the lack of censure. If no one is ever telling her that what she's saying is wrong or stupid, if she's simply getting positive affirmations from the moment she was born to the moment she graduates from college, she's never going to learn humility. So after Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez went to college and I presume became even more indoctrinated into leftist ideology, she then became a Bernie Sanders fan. And this is probably where she solidified her current political philosophy. A group of Bernie Sanders supporters, who now call themselves Justice Democrats, encouraged Ocasio-Cortez to run for office and gave her training and support. I call Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's political philosophy the stoner political ideology. This is because it's a political philosophy that is extremely popular among stoners. I myself am not a stoner. I've made my disdain for marijuana crystal clear in previous videos. I never touched the stuff. However, I have known many stoners in my life. Basically, nothing that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has said in interviews or speeches is new to me. I've heard all this stuff a thousand times before from garden variety Democratic voters, more specifically, stoners. The stuff Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says is not the same rhetoric that is typical of the elite leftist politicians in America. And, and it's, it may be new to some on the right or some people in Washington because most leftist politicians recognize that what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is saying is stupid. The stoners who share Alexandria's political philosophy believe that they are extremely well-educated in politics, but in fact, they have an incredibly limited political education. This seems to fit the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez profile perfectly. There is actually a phenomenon called the Dunning-Kruger effect, where people who are very slightly educated about something believe that they know way more about it than they actually do. And this is because low ability people cannot objectively evaluate their actual competence or incompetence. So people who are just learning about something have no objective metric from which to evaluate their competency. You hear people derisively refer to those who overestimate their intellectual prowess as like armchair philosophers, right? Things like that. These people are super annoying. But conservatives aren't just annoyed that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez thinks that she knows everything, although that's a huge part of it. I think conservatives mostly find her annoying because she speaks like a 14-year-old girl. And I was like, how old are you? And they're like, 19? And I was like, oh, 19 years old voting in an off-year midterm primary election? <laughs> Let me more precisely illustrate the profile of the type of person who adheres to Alexandria's stoner ideology. Most of the people that I've met that share Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's political philosophy 
I met while I was living in Portland, Oregon. I also met a lot of these people while traveling and staying in youth hostels. Usually these people are very young, early 20s, and they tend to be stoners, thus the moniker stoner political ideology. They tend to be entitled kids who came from very privileged backgrounds, but who are now trying to find themselves. They tend to be travelers, or they live in a house full of roommates. They tend to be people who do a lot of drugs, or they hang out with people who do a lot of drugs. They're the kind of people that are out to experience life. Uh, there are different levels of confidence that these people have about politics, but they all share a simple political ideology. The main thrust of their argument is that we should take care of each other. The idea is that a positive attitude and a loving perspective will allow everybody's needs to be fulfilled. We just need a policy of generous wealth redistribution. Now this simplistic idea sounds beautiful. That's why it's so popular. The difficulty comes when you start talking about how our society might achieve these utopian goals. Just taking money from some people and giving it to others is tricky business. How much should we take and who's the most deserving to receive? These questions are typically answered by a very specific characterization of people in the world. Rich people are characterized as greedy and evil and poor people are characterized as good and oppressed or good and unlucky. If you characterize every rich person in the world as bad and every poor person in the world as good, then the redistribution of wealth not only seems ethical, but to neglect to do so is in fact unethical. Of course, all of this is nonsense. Not every rich person is evil, and not every poor person is good. Also, just because somebody might be evil, that doesn't necessarily make them useless to society. Oftentimes, a person with bad intentions can actually benefit the world. For instance, I would classify Steve Jobs as a total dick. I don't think that he was a good person in any sense whatsoever. I'm sure he did something nice here and there, but from what I've read, it seems like he was a selfish a-hole in almost every instance throughout his life. That said, I'm currently using an iPhone to create this video. I use an Apple Watch when I go running, and I have AirPods for making phone calls. I love Apple products. Not only that, but the Apple company created enormous wealth in the world. Millions of people throughout the world have jobs because of Apple technology. Steve Jobs was evil, but he did a lot of good. It was not intentional, but given the opportunity, should we have taken Steve Jobs' early fortune and redistributed it throughout the world? What if it meant that Apple computers would never have achieved the levels of success that they have achieved today? What if we did that with every business? What if we did that with every rich person? What about medical technologies? What about pharmaceutical companies? They tend to get attacked pretty often. If we stop developing technologies and we stop growing the wealth of the world and we slow our progress, there will be sick children who will not be cured. There will be disabled people whose lives will not be benefited in miraculous ways. Maybe we, we wouldn't be able to make deaf people hear or colorblind people see color. Paraplegics can now use voice activation technology to do many ordinary tasks around the house. We have achieved all of these things because we haven't pillaged the wealth from those who created them. Look, I don't like Steve Jobs. If I could steal all his money and give it to some decent people who are maybe suffering in the world, I'd love to do that. But if doing it actually reduced the quality of life of millions of people around the world because the technologies that Steve Jobs produced would never have existed, I would not be able to do it in good conscience. I would not be able to redistribute that wealth. But that is exactly what the socialist stoners want us to do. I have a buddy up in Berkeley who wants to make movies. He's never written a script in his life, he's never picked up a camera, but he's convinced that he's a brilliant filmmaker. He said to me one day that he thinks that the government should provide film equipment to anyone in the country who wants to produce a film. 
His argument was that producing a film is such an expensive creative endeavor that it was a cost-prohibitive art to anyone who was not rich. Now, I used to work at a community center in which we rented out for free film equipment to anyone in Portland, Oregon who wanted it. I then look up whether or not they had the same services around San Francisco and Berkeley, and sure enough, there are these kinds of government-funded community services pretty much everywhere in America. I sent my friend a link, and his response was, well, this film equipment isn't the best available. It wasn't expensive enough. So even when these socialist stoners get what they want, it's not good enough unless it's the absolute, top-of-the-line, best possible stuff. So my buddy in Berkeley, he lives with his parents, refuses to get a job, does not write scripts, doesn't, doesn't go out and do anything productive with his time, but he insists that he should just be handed success with zero work, zero time or effort invested. And that is the mentality of the entitled millennial. This is the mentality of the young socialist. This is the result of too many years of teachers telling students that they are special snowflakes. For too long, the left has brainwashed children into believing that they're special for no reason. It used to be that we would encourage children to do something significant with their lives, to work hard, to be independent, to find a spouse, to have children, to raise them well. Our society used to encourage people to try to be good, to try to work hard, to try to do good in the world. I've always noticed that people have to show they can be trusted with little things before they can be trusted with big things. Our society now encourages people to demand benefits that they've never done anything to deserve. You are being racist. It is no longer a safe space for me. I am sick looking at you. I am disgusted. You are disgusting. Uh, look at me. Yes. Look at me. Yes. Your experiences will never connect to mine. Empathy is not necessary for you to understand that you're wrong. Even if nobody's ever been racist to you, because they can't be racist to you, that doesn't mean that you can just act like you're not being racist. The situation right now does not require you to smile. Yeah, it's, it's not, not a debate. debate. It's not, it's not, not a debate. This is my home and oh. you came in here and you cannot come in here and change things. Yeah. This has been our home. Do you understand that? Do not interrupt me. I was not angry and now I want your job to be taken from me. This is the simplistic ideology that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was indoctrinated into. So I think that she's probably got a lot of these ideas whilst interacting with the Bernie Sanders supporters. I mean, let's face it, Bernie Sanders' entire voter base was composed of stoners. Naturally, they would all share the stoner political ideology. So I think that Alexandria must have really solidified her ideas while talking to these people. The left has really sanctified Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They've labeled her AOC in the same tradition as JFK or the feminist favorite RBG, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And this is interesting because Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez doesn't have the same history as these more notable Democratic figures. You know, it seems to have become regular practice by the left to deify certain leftists before they've actually done anything significant. Barack Obama, for instance, when he won the Nobel Peace Prize just for being elected president while being black. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez seems to enjoy the same sanctification by voters leftist politicians, and the mainstream media. But I actually think that the consecration of the Holy Saint Alexandria is far worse than that of Barack Obama. Obama, although wrong about everything, at least produced some impressive speeches. He seemed to know what he was talking about, at least when it came to leftist political ideology. He was educated, albeit misguidedly, about politics. Alexandria's consecration is based on even less substance than that of Barack Obama. So why does the left love Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? It's because she's beautiful. She's well-spoken. She's charismatic. 
and she's a Hispanic woman. The left prioritizes style over substance. They recognize that a charismatic figure is going to get them more votes than a politician who might actually have good ideas. And I think that's one of the primary differences between the left and the right. The left is drawn like moths to a flame to charismatic figures. We on the right get excited by truth. We don't always fall in line behind a politician just because he or she seems cool. It took most Republicans a long time to get behind Donald Trump. Even though we agreed with what he was saying, many conservatives didn't actually trust that Donald Trump was being genuine. Many people, like Ben Shapiro, didn't get behind him until well after he'd been elected. It was only when Trump started putting words to action that many conservatives actually started to get behind him. Now, that's a pretty slow warming period. On the contrary, leftists elevate any charismatic politician who happens to not be white instantaneously. It's really quite telling. It says a lot about the way people on the right see politics and the way people on the left see politics. Let's recap. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a spoiled millennial who grew up in an affluent neighborhood, went to an elite high school, was indoctrinated from a young age to believing that she was special. Alexandria was a Latino woman in a 90% white area of the country. The leftist adults around her must have treated her not like a princess, but like a queen. She had every expression, every idea, no matter how nonsensical, positively affirmed her entire life. She learned to express herself confidently. And then she goes on to win this underdog congressional campaign, reinforcing the romantic perception that she has of herself of being a uniquely special person, a princess, a queen. She is now a celebrity in the United States, and that, in fact, is royalty in this country. So, in a strange twist of irony, she has actually achieved the status that she was trained to believe she deserved all along. Now, here's the nasty thing about celebrity. Celebrities become addicted to attention. And here's why this is even nastier for Alexandria. I believe, and I can't say this for sure, I didn't grow up with the girl, but my guess is based on all the interviews that I've seen with her, based on the outlandish things that she's said, based on her boldness, her confidence, her willingness to butt heads with important figures in politics. My guess is that Alexandria has always craved attention. My assessment of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is that she is an attention seeker. This, I believe, is her most defining characteristic. As an attention seeker attains new levels of satisfaction, they will then need even greater levels of attention to satisfy them. It's, it's like any addiction. So I don't see this woman disappearing from our television screens anytime soon. Now, there are a few possible outcomes that I see for this woman's life. One somewhat positive possibility is that she just steps away from politics. Maybe Hollywood comes calling, who knows? But if her need for attention becomes satisfied by some other avenue, we can breathe a sigh of relief that she will no longer be helping to draft legislation for the rest of America. Another scenario is that CNN gives her her own show. She would become one of the many political pundits that would express her leftist ideas on a leftist network to a leftist audience. I think this would be a reasonably acceptable result. She can then satisfy her need for attention, and she will no longer be doing that much damage to the country. The last two scenarios that I see are the best and worst possible for her future. If she decides to stay in politics for the rest of her life, she will have to educate herself on the issues. She's going to be faced with them every single day for the rest of her life. She will be ridiculed by conservatives everywhere. She's going to need to know her stuff if she doesn't want to be humiliated. Now, if this happens, if she does begin to educate herself, eventually there will come a day of reckoning. There will be a day when she will have to face the truth. There is a reason that as people get older, they become more conservatives. Leftists will tell you it's because they get more money and conservatives tend to legislate in favor of the rich. But I would counter with this. As people grow older, they learn more and they become better educated and they, they understand the truth of the world. They are better able to align themselves with more effective solutions to the problems of the world. Some of the people are greedy, sure. 
But most of the people that I meet want to do something valuable with their time. They want to do something valuable for the world. They usually want to feel like they've made a difference. And so for them to simply hoard their money greedily would not satisfy this desire. So most old people that I know genuinely want the world to be a better place, and they align their politics accordingly. This is why as people get older, they become more conservative. The same thing will happen to Alexandria, and it'll happen at a far faster rate than a typical American voter, because Alexandria is forced to face the reality of politics every single day. She must become educated about these things. So one day when it finally hits her, when she finally recognizes the truth that men aren't really oppressors, that white people aren't really the bad guys, ethnic minorities aren't all actually oppressed, and, and just giving poor people money is a completely ineffective solution to poverty. So when she finally realizes that capital Capitalism is the most benevolent economic system ever devised. When she recognizes that our democracy with all its faults works better than any government in the history of the world. When she finally realizes all of these things, she's going to have to make a choice. She's either going to have to flip, change sides, become a full-on conservative, or she's going to have to start to lie. She's going to have to start to pretend to believe all the things that she used to really believe. She's going to have to tell her constituency the things that they want to hear to stay in power. She's going to have to reinforce the ideas of the oppressed and the oppressor. She's going to have to demonize white people and men, despite the fact that she knows that these things are wrong. She's going to have to become Nancy Pelosi. And so it will be at this point, at this moment of reckoning, that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez will have to decide to be a good person or to become an evil person. If this date does come, it will be interesting to see. I, for one, will be watching out for it. Well, that's it for me. I hope you guys liked this one. It was a bit of work, and uh, it, was, uh, it was very educational for me. I think I've got a pretty good grasp of who Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is now, and I, I hope you guys do too. A lot of my presumptions about this woman are speculation based on how she speaks and how she acts and what I know of her life history, which is not a lot. There are some things about which I may be completely wrong. If you think so, please leave me a comment. Let me know. Okay, well, if you like this video, give me a thumbs up. If you want to see more like this, please subscribe. And if you hate me, you might be my buddy in Berkeley, who I called out earlier for being a delusional, self-entitled leftist. Listen, I'm sorry, man. But on the bright side, I didn't tell him your name, Brian. Have a good night. What is fascism? Fascism is private ownership, private enterprise, but total government control and regulation. Well, isn't this the liberal philosophy? The conservative, so-called, is the one that says less government. Get off my back, get out of my pocket, and let me have more control of my own destiny.